On this episode, it's our first ever all quickies, all the time episode. OMG. We have not one, but three awesome guests. Salty Brine, who you yeah. may remember from Launch Party. Avital Isaacs, sex educator and burlesque performer. And Ajua Tete from episode four. Totally. Sex educator and activist. So here's the thing. The content of this episode, we really love. We're proud of it. It's really mm-hmm. cool. All these guests are, have amazing things to talk about. But... We're new at this whole sound recording thing, and it turns out that recording five people is a bit of a different beast than recording two or three. And we did not do nearly as good of a job with the core audio as we yeah. have for the other ones. And so this, we're really sad that this episode just will take a little more patience to listen to than others, and we totally understand if it's not your thing to stick with it. We think you may find it worth it, because the content is awesome, yeah. but... Um, there is a hum that goes through the whole thing that might drive you batty, and it, that's... It happens? Cool. And there's this unevenness in the vocals, and our mix engineer is awesome and did the best he could. But um, if you're having trouble having patience with the with the vocals, please don't write us off. Please go back to episode 9, which is awesome. Skip ahead to episode 11, which is awesome and has better quality vocals. And uh, we look forward to staying in conversation with you, regardless of what you think of the the quality of the, the audio on this episode. Also, if you wonder why I'm so loud and always right in on the microphone, I was farthest from the microphone. <laughs> Homeboy is resonant. Homeboy is Welsh. I'm well, I got the pipes. <laughs> what can be done? <laughs> I hope you, I think it's really great. These people are great. I think it's a good one. And if you can get past the, 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 the noise, I think you'll like it too. I agree. And um, we just, as always, I feel like we can never say it enough how Deeply we value being in conversation with all of you and please continue to let us know your thoughts, your ideas, your objections, your complaints. Um, and uh, all of our info is on our website, sexforsmartpeople.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter and of course subscribe to us on iTunes. Yay! And so we have with us, first of all, Amital Isaacs, who I met at a holiday party just after... Avital had given a workshop called Falala Fellatio at Babeland. Yes. Uh, should I introduce myself? Please yeah. Do. Great. My name is Avital Isaacs. Uh, I use pronouns she, her, hers. Um, and yes, I am a sex educator. I'm the education coordinator at Babeland, which means that I do festive things like pull uh, candy canes out of a stocking and have people suck them in instructive ways. <laughs> I'm, I'm also a burlesque performer. Um, as well as uh, an administrator at the New York School of Burlesque. So I kind of have uh, my finger in as many pies as possible. Mm. Rad. Also with us? Um, I'm Adjua Tate, and I... Um, Who you probably remember from episode four. Yay, thank you. <laughs> Happy to be back. Um, my preferred pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I also am a sexuality educator. I work in a community health center in Long Island City, and I also do... Lots of raging against the machine for sexual and reproductive health rights and justice um, after work as well. And so I do some work with the Planned Parenthood of New York City Activist Council um, and the Sierra Pittsburgh Population Environment Program. Um, so, yeah, so I do a lot of trying to empower people and create political and social and educational spaces where people can have wonderful, healthy, happy sexual lives. So. Hell yes. Yeah. And Woo. of the fame of 
Are you a beaver? Because damn. damn. From the launch party. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a good joke. It is. Who are you? Uh, my name is Who Salty Brine. <laughs> Who the fuck are you? I'm Salty Brine. Uh, my pronouns, I prefer well. Uh, I like all the pronouns. <laughs> I think pronouns are awesome, and I really feel comfortable with, with any of them that I've ever heard. Uh, most people call me he, him, his. Um, but I will take a she in a heartbeat, and I will also take a they. Um, and I am a, an actor, a performer, a cabaret performer, a playwright, uh, a sometimes director, singer, and uh, I teach at New York University. I teach theory things, all sorts of how to make theater stuff. Including, one of the things that I feel most excited about what you do at NYU is you teach a freshman symposium mm. and, and sort of lead them through what it is to sort of be becoming an adult and an adult artist. How does that manifest? Yeah, uh, it's a class I call Salon, and I work with about 70 first-year undergrads every year, and I bring in working theater artists that, uh, that work in New York, on Broadway, off-Broadway, off-off-Broadway, regionally and internationally, all sorts of walks of life, different ages, different races, different genders, and we just sort of dig into what it is they do, how they do what they do, and why they do what they do, in the hope that the students start to consider not just what theater is, but why we make it, uh, why we've had it for as long as we know, and why they need to make it individually. Right. Oh, yeah. I got three yes. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're going to do so many quickies. Okay. Oh my god. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. So. Like a regular Wednesday. Yeah. Quickies round one. Who would like to go first? Who would like to throw down? I have a thing. Go Dave. <laughs> 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 okay. So um, there was uh, on the, the website, The Hairpin, um, Anne Friedman drew a chart that has me um, uh, half laughing and half sort of blushing in embarrassment. I'm going to turn this around and we'll link to this. It is um, a, a pie chart saying, <laughs> what are straight white male feminists uh, worrying about? 20%? Am I accidentally dominating this conversation? <laughs> 7%? Should I tweet this in solidarity? <laughs> 20%? Am I privileged to think I could tweet in solidarity? <laughs> 16% distancing self from that guy. 7% death slash cancer. 30% is it sexist that I'm turned on right now? And Anne Friedman wrote, that I said, Anne Friedman made this chart at the behest of a straight white guy, but identifies with it 100%. And um, boy, howdy, do I identify with that 100%. So my first quickie is um, a word that I've been obsessed with for a couple of years that I really... Uh, embodies a lot of things that I that I do, that I try to do with my life. and uh, But it, it certainly comes into play when I start talking about sex and sexuality and gender. And that word is finesse. Mm. Um, and I don't mean it in... It, there, there is a way that finesse can sound sort of uh, charming and clever and cheating and sort of working around. And I don't mean that. I mean uh, an incredible care and attention to detail. Mm -hmm. And I think there are, when I, uh, the example I often use is 
not a sexual one. It's about making my bed. Every time I make my bed, I try to make my bed better than the last time I made my bed. Mm, you should talk to Taylor Mac. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I should talk to Taylor Mac about that. I would love to talk to him about that. I love beds, and I think beds are really important, special places, and I love my bed, and I love to take care of it, and I love to um, make it an incredible place for me or anybody else that's with me um, in that space. And so I try to have finesse. I try to get the hospital corner just so. I, I think through uh, the way the sheet wants to be folded over the top of the comforter and roll it back in just such a way that it looks really inviting. Um, and uh, when I think about all of the wonderful sex that I've had over the years. You're um, welcome. Thanks. <laughs> thanks, Dave. You're the best. Oh, oh, if it only were true, Dave. <laughs> but it's not true, is it? We all know it. Uh, I, I have to say that the people that I remember the most in bed had incredible finesse, and they cared very much about detail. They were paying attention to me. And... Uh, I have also, on the other hand, had sex with people, unfortunately, that had a zero understanding of finesse. Um, they are not listening. They're not communicating. They, uh, they don't so much care about me and what happens to me. And uh, that is so disappointing. And in those instances, I suggest that you stand up wherever you are. <laughs> Maybe you're already standing. <laughs> and you say, I'm sorry, this isn't working for me. I'm going to go now. Thank you very much. And walk away. <laughs> and uh, people think, oh, that's funny, but I could, of course, I'm in the middle of a sexual encounter with somebody, I could never do that. Yes, you can, and you <laughs> yes, should. You can. Yes, you should stand up and walk away. And if you're having trouble doing that, uh, may I give you a lovely lie that you can use? And I do think that it's totally appropriate to lie in this moment. Just say you've recently gotten out of a relationship and you're feeling very emotional and you have to go. <laughs> it works. And, uh, and you know, you should never be in a situation you're not comfortable with. But I think um, for me, finesse is everything. Okay. So do you think that, is it, do, you, do you think that you have a responsibility not, or to, you don't have a responsibility to say I'm leaving because you're not, show, you're not working with finesse here? Um, I think if you feel comfortable saying that, yeah. awesome. Okay. I feel like you don't. I don't think you have. If you don't, if it's about getting out of the room, sure. and it's all you can do mm -hmm. is just to get out of the room, then get out of the room. Then okay. that comes first. You should also know that if you're hearing this a lot, by the way, it means that you're not showing any finesse. <laughs> Yes, just, just saying. Oh, damn. <laughs> if, if, if a lot of people have just gotten out of relationships and have to go now, just maybe take the hit. <laughs> Remember what Salty said. Oh, yeah. I made my bed one time. <laughs> well, you know, I will say about like, making beds, it's like... I sleep with my nail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, wow, have I made my bed? There is literally nail on my bed. It's just an example. I'm not saying bed. you should make your bed. And in fact, a life not making your bed is a wonderful life. <laughs> because you just stand up. Right? Right? Making my bed. Laundry. Yeah. Yeah. New thing for you making I, your bed. I didn't make my bed for pretty much my whole life. And then yeah. this past year, it's been 
really important ritual to me. Yeah. Oh. Mm -hmm. I understand. Including the beds of other people. Yeah. <laughs> make a bed. I make the bed. Mm. Mm -hmm. I love a ritual. One day on Sex to Talk People, we will talk about how I am in the morning and why this is oh, unlikely God. to ever happen. <laughs> I think that I could speak to that. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of authority. So. <laughs> Dave um, is crazy in the morning. We'll talk about it later. But mm. speaking of ritual. Yeah. Yes. That connects to my quickie rubber. Hooray! Hooray! Which, so, I have been, I, I tend to be like a highly skeptical person, but then also think that looking at things only in the measurable sense, then you're like missing out on a lot. Mm. And I've been reading a lot of Taoism lately. And learning a lot about Taoist sexuality. I've, I've read a lot about Tantra as well, which since there's a lot of similarity there, but um, I, um, one thing that I really like about Taoist views on sexuality, first of all, that it that come from a place of such celebration, so few spiritual traditions look at sexuality from a place of such celebration. Mm -hmm. But also, this is really what my critique is about. I want to give a shout out to playfulness and the profundity mm. and the gorgeousness of playfulness, in bed and out, but we'll focus on in bed for now. Um, so I want to read a passage from this book called The Multi-Orgasmic Couple, which has some flaws. It's very, it's like, it, 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 it doesn't, it gives like a nod to queerness, but not nearly enough. It, it definitely is, is based in a, a hetero mindset, but it still has a lot of cool stuff in it. When I read this passage, I find it hilarious. It may sound like I'm even mocking it, but it's for the sense of how cool this playfulness. So, and I also find this ridiculous and think that that's awesome. So I'm going to read about the nine Taoist thrusts. <laughs> The following description is from the 7th century physician, I don't know how to say his name. Bob um, Genghis Khan. So I'm really not going to try, because I'm sure, from a 7th century physician who suggested thrusts of varying depths, directions, and speeds. Oh, heaven. Um, number one. <laughs> Wait for it, number one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> number one. Strike left and right as a brave general. Breaking through the enemy's ranks. Mm. The battle of the sexes imagery was not completely absent from Taoist sexuality. Number two, rise and suddenly plunge oh. like a wild horse <laughs> bucking through a mountain stream. Mm. Number three, the third of the Taoist thrusts. <laughs> right next to the diagrams of shallow and long feet thrusts. Mm -hmm. We're all going to look at right now. Oh. <laughs> Number three, Push and pull out mm. like a flock of seagulls playing on the waves. I actually love that one. <laughs> Is that a band? I'm just doing a hairdo. <laughs> <laughs> Number four. Use deep thrusts and shallow teasing strokes like a sparrow plucking mm. pieces of rice. All right, that's my shit. <laughs> <laughs> Number five. Make shallow and then deeper thrusts in steady succession to the left and right, mm. like a large stone <laughs> sinking into the sea. Mm. Mm. Uh, I recently got out of a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> you stuck with me, Alicia. <laughs> we got three more. <laughs> we got three more. No safe words in this situation. Oh, no, 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 four more. Four more. Oh. <laughs> oh. 
Um, and the ones that I couldn't address in the presentation, I texted them afterwards because I felt, you know, that's the, the full job as a sex educator. Most of the questions were, uh, my body does this or my body doesn't do this. Is there hope for me? Is there hope for me was a phrase that came up a number of times. Um, and so I think giving, giving people permission is, is really just like very much at the core of what I do as a sex educator and, and where, where like my passion is. Um, but one of the things that I was really enlivened by and really excited by was that a lot of the questions that they had were about casual sex etiquette. So that was a very long preamble to my first quickie. Uh, you can tell I like to take it slow. Um, like a terrified badger. Naked mole rats crawling <laughs> toward victory. Um, uh, so I, if I have a soapbox, I would love to talk about casual sex etiquette because people mm -hmm. assume that having sex when they're not in a relationship that's defined in like some capital R relationship mm -hmm. way means that they have permission to behave however they want to behave mm -hmm. and that they can they can just they don't have to that if they're nice if they're if they're nice and polite and if they have some sort of etiquette around it that that's an indication to the other person hey I'm I'm the marriage type or something like oh if I'm nice to you that means you'll want to lock it down with me somehow. Mm -hmm. So people are afraid to be nice. So a lot of the presentation was like, hey, it's totally okay to text somebody back and if you have a threesome and it doesn't work out the way that you wanted it to, still say thank you. Like, still be thankful for the experience. Um, or like, you know, negotiate what communication means to you if you want it to just be that one night. You're allowed to say that. Mm -hmm. And they're allowed to say yes, or they're allowed to say that doesn't really work for me. Um, but I think people are just, are afraid to have those conversations. But I think, I think being nice and having etiquette can be part of a sexual relationship, even if it just lasts for like an hour and a half. So I guess for my first one, um, so as someone who's turning 30 this year, Woo! had a lot of conversations with people about aging, what that looks like, and, mm -hmm. um, and especially as someone who, um, there's a lot of people around me that are having children and all those things. So these questions come up, whether it's from my family, feels like I have to have children, <laughs> or whether it's coming from other people. But the thing that came up is I had a conversation with a woman who's slightly older than me, and she was talking about how she recently went to the doctor. And so a lot of my coworkers have had children. So we have five coworkers that have actually just had children recently. Um, and so she essentially went to the doctor and in a nutshell was told, you know, your eggs are basically shriveling up and you need to get on it in terms of having children. And I feel like I keep hearing people having these conversations where people are like, you know what, your time and your biological clock is ticking and it's going to explode soon. And so it's just so frustrating because I feel like it puts this fear in people that you have to be on some timeline where it's like, if you weren't ready for it yet, you're like, I need to expedite this process right now because my eggs are going to shrivel up and this is not going to work for me. And I feel like just that conversation, whether it's from the provider or coming from parents mm -hmm. and other folks, like completely erases one, whether people even want to have children, number one. Some people are choosing to be child-free. But number two, it's like, what does that look like if you feel like, I only have five years to make this happen. And so the mm -hmm. choice is, okay, I need to find a partner. I need to do this or not find a partner, whatever it looks like. But for that person, my friend I was talking to, she's like, okay, I have to figure out having a partner. And then I have to mm -hmm. be in a relationship for this amount of years and all this. And I'm like, F all of that. <laughs> 
seriously, like, I think that there's probably a lot of it, too, that we're, there's a lot of fear that's getting put around there that may not be completely founded. So I know that there's reality to it and there's fertility testing and all those things, too, but I think that something that comes from this idea that we're supposed to procreate and it's supposed mm-hmm. to happen by a certain time. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think that I'm just like, I want people and I feel it. I'm feeling it myself, even though I'm trying to say, F that. I don't want to be about that at all. But at the same time, I'm just wanting to tell people to just breathe and do things in the timeline that makes sense for you. Because, like, why should you force yourself into having a child if that's not what you want right now or you're not ready for it or those are the circumstances? So, word. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> that was just something that was on my mind. I was like, ah! And I feel like there's other people that are feeling it. So, mm-hmm. I think sometimes, kind of in the same way, if people need that permission to be like, it's okay if you're not on this timeline that's pre-subscribed for you. So, yeah. 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 Round two. Fight! <laughs> yeah! Street Fighter 2 reference for all. I remember that. Yeah! Bobby So I had this experience last night where I was emceeing a show and also doing a striptease as part of the show. And afterwards, I was collecting tips. Uh, in lieu of a bucket, I was collecting the tips in my bra. So people were putting them in my bra last night. And I had this, I had this interesting sort of dissociative moment where I was thinking about the visible presence of fat sexuality and fat bodies because it's not something that gets spoken about very often, and it's something that sort of uh, delineates into one of two situations where you see it in the media. So either fat bodies are highly sexualized or they're completely desexualized. Mm -hmm. Uh, But either way, it's always centered on the gaze of the person who's looking at the fat person. Mm -hmm. So it's not not, um, subjectified. It's the fat body objectified. So uh, talking about like, talking about the clumps, Talk about shallow how, like that kind of stuff as a frame of reference. And I realized that uh, having, being a burlesque performer and being a fat person, um, until I started doing that, until I started being in the burlesque community and taking off my clothes for money, I didn't see fat embodied sexuality um, being celebrated. And I thought it was really interesting, like as I'm looking up at these people, like these, you know, these able-bodied, hetero, young white men in suits putting money in my bra, I was wondering, like, do you desire me because I told you that you do? Um, like, is, is saying, you know, I'm sexy, and having that be something that other people then agree with. Like, that the very, the very moment that you decide that you are a sexy person and when you say that, other people just start magically agreeing with you. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that was the stuff that was going on. Oh. And I was just like, thanks for the tip. Sexuality is the very moment that you decide that you are sexy people. Start agreeing with you. Yeah, and it's 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 really amazing what happens when you just make that. Because I think being attractive is a decision. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't think like I think some people are set up to follow cultural ideals more closely, and some people aren't. So it's sort of like um, one of those marathons where some people are set further back in the track. Um, But I think whoever whoever makes the whoever takes the decision. That's what it is in French. You don't make a decision, you take a decision mm-hmm. in French. And I think whoever takes that decision to be attractive is. Mm. It's interesting when you watch this um, this TED talk about people and how they sit and their even their body position and how sometimes we do things to make yeah. ourselves small. Mm-hmm. We do things to make ourselves large. So if we sit there with our legs wide open or if we're standing with our hands on our hips, how we're taking a lot of space and how Sometimes even doing that, if you don't necessarily believe it, you can fake it until you believe it. And other people will do that as well, too. So even just thinking about how 
we present ourselves and then like you're saying, I'm saying this is it and then people believe that and it's also it can be also even just you know, I wouldn't fully believe it. But even presenting it in that way too. Yeah. So I um I feel like everyone's so awesome and great. So my uh, my next one is I had it was just a really good moment. It was one of those things where I felt really happy to do the work that I do. And so um, I was doing a workshop on gender and sexuality and sexual orientation with um, some eighth graders. Um, and it was so freaking awesome. Like I love, love, love the things that they had to ask and how thoughtful they were about talking about gender so we were talking a little bit about what it's like to be trans or gender queer and those types of things and A they came to it with a whole body of knowledge as is but also just like very thoughtful and inclusive about how they were thinking about things and so you know there weren't I didn't have any like really rude or problematic comments or what have you and I felt like it was so cool to just have that conversation and sometimes you can walk into it thinking that what is this going to look like for folks? But, you know, they were like, what does it mean to be poly? And what does it mean to do other things? And I was like, high five, kids. And it was great. Huh. It was great to have that space to be able to do that in a school in its own right, too, yeah. to be able to talk about different relationship orientations, to be able to talk about what gender looks like and how we embody it, whether it's physically, socially, and all in our minds and other things, too. But it was just super, super awesome. So, you know, I think that sometimes, you know, especially when we talk about like bullying and what it looks like in terms of like youth culture right now and that we have these ideas but you know there's these like small glimmers of hope where I feel like people are there and whether it's they're living that experience or not but also being careful and thoughtful about the folks around them too is that that can still be there so granted of course I'm there for an hour so that doesn't mean that other things don't happen within the school but I think that even just being able to have those conversations with someone so and sweet. not in a formal context from their teacher. Oh, I wish I had I never had yeah. that hour. Like, how lucky they would even have that hour in there. So awesome. Yeah. I want to come. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> be like, today, guys, I'm going to have a couple other folks that are going to We have questions too. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. I was like, let's talk about what this would look like. What and is so, gender? Like, what happens if someone's trans? And then what is their orientation? And I got to draw pictures. It was amazing. It was really great. And I just was like, I love my job today, and I love all you guys, and I want to hug all of every single one of you. So I think it's awesome that that happens, and I, I'm happy to be able to be a part of things like that, and I'm happy that I can learn and have that space with, with some young folks. So that was why I just want to share that. Like heart. This also good in mind because I think that I have probably just lingering from my own time being that age. I think about 13-year-olds, I think they must all be just fucking terrible human beings. <laughs> right. And to hear that they're able to, that some of them yeah. in this context are able to hear this is really, really nice. Totally. I actually went to another school and they have journals on feminism. And they have a journal that's like an LGBTQIIA and they even had PP to have polysexual in there. I was like, I didn't know what polysexual was when I was in high school. But it was amazing. It's awesome. It was just like, I've seen so many things in doing work. I've seen like, of course, I've seen some sad things, but sure. I, I see a lot of good things too. So. Rad. Yeah. We all read so lucky. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, my favorite book. So I'm reading this book. I like to read super mainstream books about sexuality just to kind of like see what's out there. Mm -hmm. So I'm reading What Do Women Want by Daniel Berner, oh, which is worry. actually great, I think. I think. I'm seeing mixed expressions around the room. <laughs> so 
So it is complex in that his whole deal is um, too long. Uh, straight white men have been speaking about female desire. Snaps. <laughs> and so that's problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very problematic. He's giving voice to things that I care about, but it's still problematic. Um, but I like thinking about the thing. It is really crazy. The thing that I, I'm fixated on in reading this book is how much, like, I mean, me coming from a very Christian background, like, how, like, Eve was impure, and so, therefore, the Son of God had to die on the cross for the sins of all humanity. Like, we do, like, culturally, can draw straight lines there. I know more from certain traditions than others, but still that's, like, very present, at least in American culture. So I do still think that this book is, is of value, but, um, and I think it's problematic that, he, I don't know, he's, like, doing the thing that he's railing against to a certain extent, but... I want to talk about just this one chapter where he brings up five different kind of awesome cool pathways of thinking in me, even if though, you know, with the acknowledged problematic things. But the studies around female desire, which is just like culturally female desire is, is there's a reason why it's considered just so dangerous to the whole fabric of society. And so I think that this work and discussion around this work is (laughs) (laughs) So study number one, which you may have, this one's the most widely publicized one, I've heard about it. Um, We showed women, um, a, and we're talking, in this conversation, we're talking cisgendered women. Just, um, mm-hmm. They showed women videos of heterosexual sex, lesbian sex, gay sex, and bonobo sex, monkey sex. And then asked them what they found sexiest, but also measured their vaginal secretions while watching these things. All of the women here... Uh, said that they found, or most of the women said they found the heterosexual sex the most sexy, but their vaginal secretions were equal across the board. Hey, girl. <laughs> so to to make that even more complex, this this sexologist named Meredith Chivers or Chivers C H I V E R S. She did a study um, with uh, recorded erotica around stories around uh, close friends, Mm -hmm. strangers, Mm -hmm. and long-term lovers. And same thing, all of these cisgendered women, liars them all apparently, (laughs) um, said that they found definitely the hottest, the long-term lovers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But what their vaginal secretion said was the strangers. By far, male and female. This was, it was very not gender discriminating, actually, but it was that strangers were the hottest thing, which says something that contradicts the dominant cultural narrative of women being the ones like, hold down the home and not be a brewery, you know. And mm-hmm. so, um, so that's, 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 uh, 
That's strong. Study number three. In a Kinsey Institute study of erotic images, it was trying to test, there's always this like dominant idea that men are more visual and women are more like feeling-based or otherwise-based. And so it was just a study of erotic images and they tracked where men and women, and again, cisgendered men and women, looked and for how long. And it was pretty much even. So this study seems to disprove the idea that men are more visual. Um, again, all studies can have flaws, but just putting it up. Um, so then, this is really interesting to me. Um, it's been said that women are so much less into the idea of casual sex and um, than men, and that's based on this former study about um, uh, people went around on college campuses asking, uh, will you go on a date with me tonight? And will you have sex with me tonight? And will you go on a date with me tonight? 50% um, of both men and women said yes. But will you have sex with me tonight? 75% of the men said yes, and none of the women said yes. So Meredith Chivers, or Chivers, um, how do we say this? Chivers. <laughs> No, it's Shivay. Yeah. She's said, a sweet woman, I'm sure. I'm sure. We're sorry for me. She wanted to just like complexify the study. And so she took it more hypothetical and she posed to men and women, you're on a vacation in California. Oh. <laughs> and, oh, and, and Stockton. And Johnny Depp or Angelina Jolie come oh up God. to you and say, will you have sex with me tonight? Mm -hmm. And the majority of both men and women said yes. So in this hypothetical where it's more in the realm of fantasy, mm -hmm. where there aren't so many concerns about safety because rape culture is a real thing, um, the, the, the rote desire of both cisgendered men and cisgendered women that were interviewed here was matched. And I think that that's really important. And then the last one is that, this is going kind of long. Um, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> is uh, women were shown pictures of genitalia, a flaccid penis, an erect penis, mm. kind of covered vulva, and spread eagle vulva. And this was women, cisgendered women were, uh, regardless of their sexual orientation, um, so this is a little bit complex that way, but according to this one study, by far, vaginal secretions said erect penis is the thing that got these, this this group of women what? so with that so what I like about that not that because I mean there are uh, obviously there are many women who are much more into vulva than into penis but what this says is that women are animals and maybe just as animalistic as men and that's something that is you know when we think of women as like so chaste and pure and untouchable and controlled and should be, that I think that's something that gets neglected. And so it is like, in the, at least in this one study, um, what, what really did it for the women was the erect penis. And for the women in study. I can relate to that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon me. <laughs> you want to take a moment? <laughs> no, I'm good. <laughs> I'm always ready. Uh, I would like to talk about masturbation. Yes. Please, please talk about masturbation. Uh, <laughs> Dave, not sorry, the moment. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, a couple of years ago, I discovered uh, that I was in a rut with masturbation. Mm. And 
I don't, I don't even know how long it has been going on. I can't even say. But I was, I had stopped paying attention to pleasure and taking care of myself and finesse of myself, with myself. And uh, I think that I think that masturbation is amazing, <laughs> and I'm real good at it. And uh, it's something that I have since dedicated time to getting better and better at, as I have tried to do in lots of ways in my life, like making a bed. And um, so finesse certainly plays a part. Um, but I just wanted to say, you know, um, consider yourself and take care of yourself and love yourself and think about pleasuring yourself and think about um, how you can be better at masturbation, A. I think that's amazing. Um, I also started to wonder at that time if, uh, as, I, as I started to, the rut really was about, <laughs> I mean, it really was about, like, um, I, oh, well, let's, I guess might as well do this now. Like, I was, like, bored or something. <laughs> and then it would just be like, oh, yeah, okay, and there we go. And it was very quick and over and done with. And I think I uncovered still some underlying shame about masturbation mm -hmm. and had to start letting that go. And I think I'm still moving through that. Mm -hmm. And I know that, you know, it's 2014. And, and you are a very sexually and evolved. And I'm very sexually evolved human being. And I've had lots of sex with lots of different people and lots of sex with myself. <laughs> but I think still there is this shame and this need to release it. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are still moments where I where I feel it. Um, I would like to suggest watching a YouTube video uh, of Dalton, uh, Dalton Trumbo's masturbatory epistle to his son, which Nathan Lane reads mm. on YouTube. It's maybe four or five minutes long. We will link to that on our Facebook page. Yeah, so that would be lovely. Maybe on Twitter if I remember. <laughs> and it's very funny. Dalton Trumbo was this uh, American screenwriter. And he wrote to his son at boarding school. And it's a beautifully written, hilarious uh, sort of cel celebration of masturbation and, and encouragement. Uh, so there's that. And then I just wanted to say, too, that because I have uh, started to let go of this shame and uh, love take care of myself as a masturbator, I have also discovered that mutual masturbation mm. is one of my High favorite five. things oh, in I dig the it too. world. It's fucking great. It's I think great. it's genius. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's something that I overlooked for many, many years. And I, I, I think I got very wrapped up in the need for penetrative sex, that that was what sex was and eventually needed to end up there or else my partner was going to be dissatisfied. And, uh, so I would just, uh, I would just like to say, consider, consider mutual masturbation because mm. it's wonderful. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's very interesting. We're all Everybody is I'm so thrilled about it. Uh, it's a very special, special, intimate, wonderful thing that mm. I can to share with two or more people. It's fantastic. Word. Cheers. Word.
I want to talk about a sex safety thing that I didn't know about, and since there are some sex educators in the room as well, just to uh, see if this is, um, you know, if this is wrong, now's the time, or if this is right, now's the time to be like, yes, it's true. That if you have a history of cold sores, you need to be upfront about this before engaging in oral sex with, mm -hmm. with partners. Because oral herpes, which is what cold sores are, can become genital herpes if, uh, if uh, oral sex is performed from that. So this is something that I don't know, but this um and so uh, and so yeah. If you think in cold sores and they're usually external, they're on the lips usually. They're crusty. Um, if you have a history of that, yeah, you gotta you gotta be upfront about that before you go down on somebody because that could turn into genital herpes. Um, uh, it's not just like oh, if I you know it might pass from mouth to mouth, it might pass from mouth to genitals. So um, be upfront about that. Yeah, the same thing. Yes, not Yes, it's like typically when you're talking about it, like. Herpes simplex one is typically around the mouth. Herpes simplex two is typically around the genitals. However, they can be passed to either area. Absolutely. So, you know, it is ideal if you can have a conversation with your partner about that beforehand. Not everyone always does that, but you know, ideally, if you can be honest about it and use yes, oral sex with a condom or dental dam or a plastic wrap, still yes. super awesome. Um, I think the other thing is that if that's a conversation that you have, or like if that's if you have herpes. It is also not like now you have to move to a leper colony. Thank you. That is something yes. that like yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yes. a lot, if not most sexually active people do eventually get it in their lives. Most people pass it. Yeah. Um, and it is not a death knell. The yes, issue is that people aren't talking about yes. it. Yes, hello. And that's what's exactly. making it um, so much of like a, of a stigma. Totally. Yeah. 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 We talk about that a lot. And so it, like, I thought we're saying that because it's another thing about giving people, which is like, it's okay because a lot of people have this and there are ways to make it and be okay. You don't have to be like, I only can be, I had a part, I had a patient who said, she was like, I can only be with this one person if they give me herpes because it's the end of the world for me. Mm -hmm. I was like, sad face. It really doesn't have to no, be. No. It really does not because there's probably like, because even with general herpes, it's, I think those things one in five people have general herpes. And so with oral herpes, it's even more than that. So if you sit in a room, there's probably other people in the room with you that may have similar situations. So. Right. Yeah, but just always remember, informed consent is the only kind of consent. Mm -hmm. Alrighty, so that last conversation led into my last cookie. So uh, Valentine's Day started off what is National Condom Week. You know, we know what happens in terms of yeah, Valentine's yeah. Day. There's so much conversation about romantical things and you have to buy presents and all these things. There's the consumerist aspect of Valentine's Day, there's the romantic aspect of it, there's the opportunity for it to be, let's have a lot of conversations about having good conversations about the things that we need to within our relationship. So uh, a couple things. So I think one is that during this time of National Condom Week, we can talk about how safer sex can be great sex, yeah, number yeah. one, and with a little help from a lot of things like variation and lubrication and, and a whole bunch of other things too. So you know, imagination, other things. So that's one thing. And there's so many different varieties of barriers and things that folks can use, like glow in the dark condoms and ribbed condoms and stuttered ones. So flavored there's a, and then, yes, flavored condoms. There's a lot of things, dental dams, polyurethane, dental dams, all sorts of things. So, you know, I think that's one thing too. So people don't realize there's such a diversity of things that you can use, things that our bodies can't necessarily naturally do that maybe other protection other things can. But I also really love, like I said, at least kind of during this time, that there's a lot of conversation about conversations. And I think those conversations can be internal with yourself too and kind of 
figuring out what you like and what you want and what pleasures you and also how do you communicate that with other folks but then also how do we talk to other folks because we can't have national economy without talking about how do we negotiate things how do we actually create a space where this can come into the picture so i like that and so uh, for example an event that we're going to have tomorrow with Payland <laughs> is kind of talking exactly about that so talking about pleasure and talking about communication so um, I hope people around the world are doing that and high five to all the folks around the country that are doing awesome work on Can we tell us about that? Yes, we can. Please. I don't want to make loud sounds. Cheers. 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 Um, okay. Um, and a shout out to uh, episode two. I want to bring up the fact that something I read on um, uh, on the National Post that was linked from Metafilter is that um, a Vancouver baby has become the first person in British Columbia to have three parents on her birth certificate. Wow. Um, and that uh, and that Della Wolf Kangro Wiley Richards has become the legal daughter of a lesbian couple and their male friend who provided the sperm. And that um, he uh, he will have say in important decisions like her schooling and medical history and rights to access. But that they, the lesbian couple, are her sort of daily parents. But that he stops by every day after work to spend time with his child. And that this is a person who has three legal parents. And that uh, according to this article, British Columbia is the only Canadian province to have passed this. And as far as I know, no U.S. states have passed this. But thanks to Diana Adams, who was our guest on, on episode two, the... Um, who had an awesome interview in the Atlantic. Yeah, check that out on the Atlantic. We'll link to that as well on Twitter, if I remember. You should see the look Stephanie gives me when I say that. <laughs> um, I'm going to be so good about the Twitter account. Um, uh, follow us on Twitter, guys. Sex, yeah. At Sex for Smarts. Um, uh, that uh, we're working, that there's people working toward having this in the U.S. as well. And um, how exciting this is that we can open up our definition of family to include more than two parents. That now in British Columbia, you can have up to four which is pretty cool. Um, and so, uh, yeah, uh, uh, that was uh, really exciting news to see. That's Can we rad. Toast to that too? You tell it to Okay. Best podcast ever. <laughs> All right. Um, my last cookie is about analogous anatomy because people think that if somebody's genitals look super different from yours, that it has to be like, a whole different set of rules for how you stimulate them. But mm -hmm. we all develop the same in utero. And after about eight weeks, that's when hormones kick in to differentiate what kind of genitals the person's gonna have. So if um, like a predominance of testosterone happens, then um, a penis is going to develop. If not, a vulva is going to develop. Um, and there's also variation with intersex individuals so that there's like, there's a wide variety of how genitals can look. But that, the same kind of tissue that would make, make up the clit is going to make up the penis. They have a head and a shaft. Um, same tissue that makes up the scrotum, makes up the labia. That's why there's that little seam. That's where things fuse together, mm -hmm. which is so awesome. Um, so this is basically like a PSA because uh, we, like, one of the questions that I, was, that I get a lot is, like, why doesn't vaginal penetration work for me? Um, and it's because asking somebody to have an orgasm without touching their clit is like asking someone to have an orgasm without touching their penis in the sense that it's possible. It's just not going to be terribly common. Mm. Um, not super likely for most folks. Mm -hmm. So, so I think one of the things that I'm really pushing for is like, is, is a, a, a deviation from phallocentrism, not in the sense that like dicks should be cut off and put on spikes or anything like that, <laughs> but in, in the sense that like, 
having, first of all, like the performance anxiety of being like, my penis is the thing that will solve all of these many problems <laughs> is terrifying. And then when that doesn't work out, it's incredibly disappointing and upsetting. Um, and then to also say, like, to be on the other end of that and be like, okay, this should be working for me. Why isn't it working for me? It sets you up to fail. Yeah. So think about all the other things that you can do. Um, and, like, on a personal note, if I, can I do that? Okay, of course. <laughs> Great. Um, asking a cis dude to strap it on to fuck you is awesome. I will say that really, really is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, having, having penetrative sex, uh, which is entirely, like, of your choosing, and it doesn't stop when the penis, you know, gets tired or when the person comes. It's over when the person being penetrated says it's over. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's really instructive. And that way you also get to really show somebody else how you like to get fucked. Mm -hmm. So I recommend it mightily. And there are some really awesome harnesses, like, specifically designed um, to have the extra package. Um, All right. Uh, hey, <laughs> I think that's the round three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 round three. Sorry, hair. My hair. Well, well, well. Okay, well, I'm a little earnest as I tend to be, <laughs> and um, but I really like. Go for it, Seth. I really uh, like bringing up, as I have in previous episodes, moves that I think you should all steal. I think you should steal this. I'm going to bring some moves that I think you can all steal. Which an amazing, amazing lover of mine came up with. And awesome. I can't believe that I didn't come up with this. <laughs> was it me? It was me. So, but this is like, this seems not steamy on first glance, but I find it so fucking steamy. Mm. Oh my god, I can't wait. Right so, now. I'm dying. a lover of mine suggested let's take like, a whole afternoon mm, to just talk about each part of our bodies and like, the history of them and the trauma and the joy around them and um, you know from starting with the toes like what do you feel how do you feel about your toes how do you feel about your feet how do you feel about your ankles how do you feel about your tummy how do you feel about your hips how do you feel about your breasts what are stories that, you know, where have you been injured? Where are you? But um, we spent hours doing this and, and taking turns doing this. We did one of us and then the other of us. And it seems so non-sexual overtly. And, and it is because it's really holistic. Um, there are things, you know, like the places where I've been injured and like, oh my God, I have a lot to say about this part of my body. Or like, Oh no, moving along there, like my calves, uh, my calves, like, yeah, yeah, I think they're pretty strong. Great, move on. Like, but my knees, oh, I have such like family history there and like sexual ideas around knees and what, like, what's going on with my knees? Like, let me really sit with that. Let me articulate that to you. And taking the time to really sit with that with each of us, like, giving, like, I think we took like a solid hour or hour and a half of us just like in each of us would just like gently touch that part of our body and then we get to like reflect on and talk about that then the way that that deepened our already awesome sexual dynamic is pretty awesome and Angela on the episode we did with you we talked about like how do you like how can I learn to love my vagina was a question we came up and I just think it's so huge like 
falling in love with your genitals or your sexual self has a lot to do with falling in love with your whole entire body. And your whole sexual life with any partner has to do with your understanding of your whole entire body because everything is so connected and genitals are awesome and important, but so are as every part of you. And I just like, it kind of blew my mind when this person came up with this. I couldn't believe that I didn't come up with this because this is so me, but I didn't come up with this. This awesome person did. And I totally think that you should steal his move. It's really, really awesome. Everybody go for it. Cheers. 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 I love round three. Round three. <laughs> uh, so my last quickie is a request quickie. Um, and to anybody listening, um, and my request is from me, Salty, to you, listener, um, if you haven't already, and many of you may have already, um, and you don't have to do anything you don't want to do, but if you could find it in your heart and you haven't already, would you consider um, thinking about your gender? thinking about what gender is and what gender means to you. Um, and I ask you that as a favor from me, somebody who has thought a lot about gender and from somebody whose gender is has been a matter of life and death. Mm-hmm. Um, if your gender isn't a matter of life and death, um, I, I just, it, it may be that you haven't then had to think about it. And I would just be, uh, again, in earnest, as Stephanie loves to be in earnest, and is an earnest <laughs> For better person. or worse. Uh, I, I want to sort of s- spread the word about thinking about just considering what gender is, how it's different from sex, and uh, what, uh, what gender means to you as a human being, what your, what your gender is, and, and, uh, you know, I, uh, not to suggest that your gender is maybe as complicated as my gender, but it might be more complicated than you think. Mm-hmm. And that that could be really, really exciting mm. and um, could change your life in amazing, even little tiny amazing ways. And change, and, and I think that's where I'm coming from, is a request from me because it could change my life. And so it's really uh, a selfish favor that I ask of you because um, because I struggle a lot in a world where people haven't considered it. Mm-hmm. And it's not selfish. It's not selfish because it will be It will pay in dividends for everyone to even consider it. Even if what you come mm-hmm. up with was, like, I was right in my in, in my non-considered place. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I think so too. But I do feel that it comes from in me. Comes from a place of like it could help me, and um, I I would really appreciate it. That is the one that I would like to see, too. Let us please toast to that. Toast! Cheers. 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 And to round it out, let me just say, is it weird that I'm turned on right now? Not at all. I've had a tingling in my groin from the beginning. Bye.
Hi, if you made it this far, thank you. I hope you think it was worth it. We really do. Thanks for your patience with the audio quality. Next time on episode 11, we're going to bring Salty Brian back to really dig in with him more. He's that fucking amazing, as you heard. What a yeah. heart of gold. Yeah, he's the, he's the best. If you heard, he's a performer, a writer, a director, an educator, um, an all-around amazing human being. So uh, stick with us for episode 11, where we're going to really dig in about gender and, and some honesty. honesty. Yeah, Whoa. gender and honesty. Woo. And... Uh, I think I think you're gonna think it's a good one. So uh, come on back now. You hear? And our next crowdsource question. Yeah. yeah. Is my question is about Tinder. I'm from Montreal, and most users in Montreal clearly understand the app to be for hookups. The dirty talk routinely begins within five minutes of the first chat. But that doesn't seem to be the case at all here in Chicago, where I've recently moved, which really throws me off balance. The sexual culture here strikes me as being somewhat conservative. I don't even know how to use Tinder anymore since many local users appear to be turned off by the very idea of hooking up. Is there a Midwestern protocol to follow or am I bound to use Tinder as if it were another version of Match.com? So we'd love to hear from you about that. Midwesterners, please write in. Oh my God, I'm from the Midwest. Email us, tweet us, Facebook message us. On our website, sexualpeople.com, you can submit things anonymously in case you don't want people to know that you're from the Midwest. You can call us. Our... <laughs> we have a five. <laughs> um, yeah, let us know. This is going to be fun. This is going to be fun to talk about. Indeed. See you next time. Bye. Vigorous debate between people who love each other is the sexiest. I was just asked to film somebody masturbating for their very sexy website, and I think that's the sexiest. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, but university professors are the sexiest. <laughs> <laughs>